This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. All right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and it is camp time. Camp is in full swing. As we sit here and record this show, the Longhorns are three practices into camp. As we sit here 26 days away from the opener with Louisiana, practice number four is set for Monday, a day off on Tuesday, Wednesday, scheduled tentatively to be the first day in full pads. So we're a full bore into it. And I've had a chance to get out to the three practices for some open media windows. So we've actually got stuff visually that I've seen with my own eyes, in addition to talking to sources that we can go over on this week's show. But let me not waste any more time and get right down to business. First off, however you're listening, wherever you're listening, thank you so much for being a part of Longhorn Blitz. Wherever you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. Click the follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesday mornings. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Your commentary is welcome. That's one of the ways the bosses know that we're doing a good job so we can keep this thing going. So uh, your contributions and your support for Longhorn Blitz are greatly appreciated. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. Matt, how did Olympic basketball treat you now that that's over? Oh, it was great, man. Had a, a really good bronze medal game. Gold medal game didn't go great, but bronze medal game was all I needed. Patty Mills make you some money? Oh yes, Patty. Patty went off in his bronze medal game. Yeah. That was impressive. And how Luca, man, that dude's out of this world. He carried a country by himself almost to the yep. gold medal game. W- one quick technical note, Matt, for you, a lot of people have said that my voice fades in and out. And yes. we've my levels are a challenge for Matt because they're either way too high or way too low. So I will try to talk into the microphone and enunciate and speak clearly and loudly so everyone can hear me. You never have a problem hearing the third member of our team, A, because the information is that damn good, and B, uh, you notice his voice when he's in the room. And we're so glad to have him back in the room this week, fresh off of his wedding, which if he wants to share any details on that, we will let him hear in a sec. But he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. 
Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, no longer independent, Mr. Rod Bafers. <laughs> Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it as always. Yeah, with all Good respect, to be back. Yeah, independent Rod left us several years ago. Independent Rod left uh, several years ago, but now independent Rod is officially dead. He's, <laughs> He's dead, 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 gone. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't murdered or anything, but uh, yeah, he did die of natural causes. Sorry so I couldn't done. be there, Rod. Matt was there, so. <laughs> yeah, one, that was fun so stuff. Two-thirds of the Blitz were, well, one-third really needed to be there, but two-thirds yeah. were at the wedding. <laughs> no, nah, it was good stuff. Uh, saw some photos, man. It looked like, it looked like a lovely. Ceremony. It was. It was good. It was, uh, I mean, obviously getting married in a pandemic. It's not the most ideal situation, but it was, it was really good. It was uh, really nice. Glad to have it done. Though. Glad to have it out of the way. It, now we can get down to some football. So are, <laughs> is uh, is it one of those deals? And I don't know. I didn't get married in a pandemic, so it's a little bit different. But yeah. I compare your wedding to, like, training for the 100-meter dash in the Olympics. You train for months and months and months and put all this planning into something that feels like it's over in about 10 seconds. Uh, yeah, but, see, we didn't plan for that long. I mean, we, we threw it together. Man, we threw it together pretty fast. It was probably in five months or so we threw it together yeah. no most people postponed you know to the next year we had such a long relationship we didn't want to do that um, so. ours, our, our planning was about five six months something yeah like that. we just got it yeah exactly we just got it in done and uh it was nice though it was really well uh organized and we had a whole lot of fun so now um we gotta plan the honeymoon so that's yeah. the fun part that sounds like fun. No yeah. question. Uh, you know what the fun part is for us on Longhorn Blitz? We actually talk about football. We're done talking about conjecture and rumored innuendo. Let's get right down to it. And, I, you know, I don't want to say I've avoided talking about the quarterback situation, but I feel different about this. And I, I've been working on some content on the site, and I put out a piece this morning as we record this, kind of just based off what I've seen and what I've heard, just breaking down the depth chart, kind of a depth chart snapshot right now. And looking at the quarterback position, I wrote that, you know, from what I've seen and, and what I've heard when we're not there, when the media's not there, Hudson Card in this setting does look like the sharper of the two quarterbacks. And my take on that, guys, is that, okay, if you're throwing routes on air and mm-hmm. you're no pads not on. in pads, he should look better than Casey Thompson because he's the more naturally gifted of the two quarterbacks. He's got I, more arm your talent. Sims in the situation. But fortunately for Casey Thompson, that's not what playing quarterback at this level is about. So, Rod, there's two two things here. One, I'm kind of, I've been of the mind the whole offseason. I'm like, look, it's going to come down to the scrimmages. What happens in those two false scrimmages, that's going to – let Sark determine which way he goes with this thing. All the other stuff, it matters, but it's all going to boil down to what do those two guys look like with, with as close to game-like situations as you can simulate. And I thought about the other quarterback battles that I've covered since I've been on the beat in the post-Colt McCoy era. And whether it was Garrett Gilbert in 2011 or David Ash in 12, you know, Shane Bouchelle in, in 16 with Tyrone Swoops or 17 with Sam Ellinger, or even Tyrone Swoops in 2015 with Gerard Hurd. 
all those other quarterback battles, there was a guy that you felt like, okay, he's going to win the job. And I, the more I analyze this battle, right, I think it really is a battle because I don't have a gut feeling one way or the other. I, I do feel like if Hudson Card's going to be the guy, it's going to be because he unequivocally won out and beat Casey Thompson. In other words, I don't think Casey Thompson has to win the job. If Steve Sarkeesian has to go with a guy, I think he goes with Casey Thompson at least to start. But I just this there doesn't feel like a surefire guy where like, okay, he, he should win or, or he's the perceived leader. Mm-hmm. It's about as even as a quarterback battle could be to this point. Yeah, I mean, that's – I, I think you're right, and I think that's a good thing for Longhorn fans. I think that just means that the quarterback position overall, mm-hmm. um, you know, you remember the quarterback hell that Texas was in. You just named some of the quarterbacks associated with that era. And then the quarterback personally, purgatory like, there. Personally, in. I like Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd both, but <laughs> yeah, we're exactly. miles removed the from Texas, that quarter, yeah. that and where now, we were in that quarterback battle to where we are now looking yeah. at this thing from the outside. You have two, uh, I think, two start, starting caliber quarterbacks right now battling it out. I think yeah. whichever one doesn't win the job, there's a likelihood, you know, there could be a transfer and that guy will go in and start somewhere else. I mean, that's I, I, I have a high confidence of that. In terms of the gut feeling, though, you don't really have one. Sark doesn't have one either. He's waiting on that gut feeling, too. Um, the three, where they got two scrimmages, and then a dress two rehearsal scrimmage. they're going to have. So I think that a lot will be, you know, weighed in terms of what they do with performance-wise in those situations, especially like that dress rehearsal at the end of this, of these, basically the training camp, and how really how polished should they look? Because right now he's looking for a quarterback, and he talked about this, a quarterback that's less robotic, right? He he knows that both of these guys can go through and kind of operate the offense and conceptually actually, you know, keep it on schedule and and keep it moving. But he wants guys that can go out there and actually make plays Mm -hmm. and within the offense, right, and actually become a playmaker at that position. I don't know if he's seen that necessarily yet. That's what he's waiting on. And I think both of these guys are playmakers in different like different situations, their skill sets, mm-hmm. right, lend themselves to be playmakers in different settings. For Casey Thompson, and I've said this before, I think it's going to come down to when it's off, when things are off schedule, and when it's off script, right? When he's when the play breaks down, which I don't know how what percentage of plays break down in football. I would say at least a third of them break down. They just don't actually happen the way you plan mm-hmm. it. You need a guy that can go out there and work off script, and he is one of those guys that can improvise really, really well. And that means, you know, when, you know, there may be a a potential coverage sack or a negative play or, uh, you know, a guy that can keep the play alive, he is one of those guys. Hudson Card naturally doesn't do that. I'm not saying he can't improve on that, but I Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a natural thing for him. It's natural for Casey Thompson. He does. He's great off schedule. Um, But I think when you're operating within the confines of the offense on schedule with rhythm, um, that's when Hudson Card can shine because that's when his arm talent really can separate. That's his X-Man ability. So if the if the offense is operating Mac Jones-esque, mm-hmm. right, how many times was, was the offense disrupted when Mac Jones was running it? Was it ever disrupted? No. I mean, it seemed like it was exactly right. It was never – I never seen Mac Jones have to operate off no. schedule. Honestly, he yeah. didn't have to do it very often. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, Hudson Card. All day, every day, right? But 
if you're not Alabama and you ain't got five stars all over the damn field and you ain't got Alabama coaching everywhere either because you ain't got Nick Saban and your offensive line has some holes or your receiving court can't necessarily get open against bump and run coverage or, you know what I mean, like little things like that that may or, or the, or the quarter, or quarterback may make the wrong read or whatever it may be because you got option routes in this offense. So, hey, wide receiver sees the wrong thing, quarterback and him sees something different and you need a, a quarterback to just go make a damn play and keep you ahead of the chains, that's Casey Thompson. So how often is that going to happen? To me, that's Sark's, That's going to be Sark's biggest conundrum. How often is my offense going to be off schedule? And if it's going to be more than 50% of the time because you got holes and liabilities within the yeah. offense, Casey Thompson might be your guy. But if it's going to be on schedule a lot, offensive line's going to roll, Bijan's going to be a, the man, he's going to be the identity of the offense, and your wide receivers actually can get open versus man-to-man coverage, Hudson Card's probably going to be your guy because his, uh, his arm strength and arm talent will really transcend or help this offense transcend to the next level. Well, and, you know, you talking about right there made me think of, you know, the previous staffing situation, something we brought up a lot, is also the idea of self-scouting and being able to accurately appraise what you have and find the right guy yeah. for the right situation. Now, there in fall practice, it's hard to mimic those type of situations that we're talking about. Exactly. And that's the one thing that you, we can see a lot of things and get good ideas, but until game day comes, being comfortable in that chaos, that's something Something that really can elevate you to the top, but the thing is, is you can't mimic that. So until then, it's sort of hard. And most coaching staffs and stuff, they, over a month of practice, can find and see those type of things. They come out of players, and it's just once you get to that next part, and once you get to the game, that's when you really feel solidified. But when you have two options between the two, it's at least something where you have one strength, one weakness, and like you said, you can mold it around the rest of your team's strengths and weaknesses. And it's sort of good to have that. That type of environment and then you always have that guy with a laser arm if you need to bring him in and see what he can do if things don't go the way you expect it, it doesn't it ain't that different from sims and and, no. and major but I, I, in terms of i know both these guys talents skill sets are different but major was better when with chaos he was more yeah. comfortable in chaos right mm-hmm. uh sims was not like when 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 chaos hit but he when, had that arm when, when it would be a downward spiral sims would almost get sucked down to the quicksand mm-hmm. um major yeah. could work his way out of because he was a better agent of chaos when things broke down <clears throat> at times he'd call his own damn place i mean he was that kind of guy mm-hmm. um so I, no I mean <laughs> yeah exactly so I, I i i don't i'm with you i don't really know either right now i have no idea yeah. because that that offensive line i saw in the spring game they need an agent of chaos. We'll, we'll get to the offensive line here in a <laughs> second. That, didn't look, that, didn't, no. that did not look like an offensive line that was going to keep the, I, I think to schedule. your point, though, Rod, the, the Mac Jones point you made, this just shows how ridiculous Alabama's offense was last year under Steve Sarkeesian. So expected points added. If you want to go deep into football analytics, expected points added. Uh, EPA is the measure of a play's impact on the score of a game. So basically it's kind of looking at win probability and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Staying on schedule. Yeah. Where you're nature. at on the field, go. the value yeah. of the yards gained from that point. Would you like to know uh, Alabama's expected expected points added? I'll just read this from Pro, Pro Football Focus. Uh, talking about Texas, and Texas was one of – they listed five underrated teams going into the 2021 season, mm-hmm. and Texas was one of them. Uh, Sarkeesian has proved to be one of the top offensive play callers in college football. He called twenty. He called the plays in twenty six games for the Crimson Tide from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, and not once did did the team produce a negative expected points added per play over a game. 
Yes, the Alabama program has been full to the brim with talent, but the fact that he didn't even come close to fielding an inefficient offense is truly absurd. <clears throat> yeah. So that's how that's how on point that Alabama offense was. It was, was rolling, man. It was a machine. Season. It was a machine. And it was a very efficient machine. I'm not sure the, the Sarkeesian version of that offense here at Texas is going to be that efficient. I'm not counting. Not yet. Right? But I think Bijan will help it. But we've oh, seen yeah. great running backs at Texas, you know, have 2,000-yard seasons in Texas still – have a losing five games. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, you know, yeah, Bijan can shine, and you can still be losing games unless your offense is efficient. That's yeah. Right. So, but you know, going back to how you're, and I think this is what's tough for Longhorn fans is trying to find a separator in this battle, and you really can't find one because one of my favorite stats that I went through went rabbit hole in this offseason. Steve Sarkeesian is the first first-year Texas head coach in the post-Darrell Royal era to inherit a quarterback room with zero games of starting experience. Yeah, and yes, Casey bad. Thompson has been in the program longer, but when Sark looks at it, do you know how many more snaps, even though he's been in the program, what, so 18, 19, two, two seasons more than Hudson Card? Casey Thompson, and this is according to the PFF data I found for snap counts, Casey Thompson's only taken 74 more collegiate snaps than Hudson Card. Wow. That's not many. That's probably a game's worth. Yep. Yeah. So it's not like Sark has this big sample size to look at for Casey Thompson to say, okay, I know what he can do. Man, other than that quarter and a half, basically, he played in the Alamo Bowl, you really don't know what he can do. And you look at the other quarterback battles, and I was thinking about this too, Rod. Even if it was a bad sample, at least it was a sample. Like Garrett Gilbert's 2010 sample, not a great sample. It was more of a, Brian Hartson had more of a sample to look at than what he had with David Ash and Case McCoy, which was li- literally nothing in one case and essentially nothing in the other. Yeah. And even like you go back and look at the 2015 battle with Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurd, again, Tyrone Swoops' 2014 sample, not a great sample, but it was better than Gerard Hurd, who at that point had no sample. Mm-hmm. You don't even have that here. So it's any any indicator that you could use to look at it from the outset and just try to set the bar for these guys, it really does. That's what makes this so unique is none of that stuff really applies because totally these are two, in terms of taking some relevant college snaps, they're about as on the same page as you can be. Now, mm-hmm. Casey Thompson does get credit because he's been in the program longer. He's been on the travel squad for three years, going back to his freshman year, so he does get credit. Yeah, but for how that. much does that mean to exactly. you? Exactly, like, right? like it's not it's not playing in yeah. the game. Yeah, so no, yeah, it's it makes it an even tougher yeah uh, d- d- no decision for Sark. But Sark, I I think we all trust his resume when it comes to quarterbacks. He yep. himself played the quarterback position, so I do think he is going to try to put himself in both of these quarterback shoes, look at their skill sets, and. Ultimately, you know, do a great job of self scouting and understand, I in terms of an identity, what his offense is going to be. It's going to be Bijan. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be the identity, and, and I always say the you know a, picking a quarterback is like picking a significant other. The woman or person you marry is not the hottest person you ever dated. They're the one that's most compatible with you, and this is going to be about compatibility. Yep. And which one of these quarterbacks is compatible with the identity of the offense? And what's the identity of the offense? Mm-hmm. Bijan. All right, so off of Bijan comes your play-action pass, your RPOs. Which one of these quarterbacks is better at the play-action pass and RPO? That is roughly 
50% of this offense. I'll get into the numbers here exactly in a second. We can talk about that. But that's that's his offense. That's the identity of his offense. It's going to be the running game, but that's good. But then off of that, it's the play-action pass. It's the RPO. And which one of these guys can execute that? And, and, and again, just watching them in drills, it's <laughs> drills with no defenders. So, again, take it for what it's worth. But going back to the term you used a minute ago, Rod, robotic, mm-hmm. in those settings, again, no pads, just indiv- quarterbacks doing individual periods in practice. Hudson Card looks more fluid, looks less robotic than Casey Thompson. Yeah, but the but right in drills, drills I'm talking overall. whether it's RPOs, whether go. it's quick game, whatever yeah. it is, he just looks he looks more fluid. Casey Thompson looks a little a little robotic. Yeah, now I can see that. And yeah. the situation, but again, none of that adds, none of that adds mm-hmm. up to playing quarterback. When no, you're but it's center. one. It's a data point. It, yep, you and chalk it up like to said, a data point when you're when you're going to do a, a you know a breakdown of these guys, and you're actually going to determine okay which one gives me the clear advantage mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. One data point is, man, Hudson Card just looks more fluid, it looks does. more natural. So, He's making some of those throws. That man, matters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and being able to perform in those situational aspects that your coaches prefer really could be more valuable because, say, you do uh, play half, more than half your offense off of play-action RPOs, but it's like I bet a lot most of the time most of your production – is coming off of those plays because those are your home run hitters. So the value in those plays are immense. So that's where a situation where a coach like Sark may be identifying, well, it's a 50-50, but in these plays that are bread and butter, this guy is going to be the one that brings us more value. So that's just the type of stuff he'll be looking at. And one thing I really like about having Sark in this situation, and it's just a convenience from him that previous coaches didn't necessarily have the luxury of, but there's actually no preconceived uh, relationship or ideas about with these quarterbacks. He's just being dropped in, and he's like, hey, you need to pick one. And they don't have one, and there really isn't much of a sample size. Now, if you had recruited one kid for many years or liked this skill set or had maybe seen inherent flaws in this kid for many years of practice or you know, heard stories about this kid in high school or whatever, then you, you may have a preconceived notion or something. In this situation, Sark sort of just like landed from one football team to another one, and he has to find his guys in his camp. So I really yeah. think that he's going to get a really good clean. Now you hope every coach would make every situation or every decision that way, but it's just not human nature. And this is one just conveniently works out for him in that situation. Yeah, because and to add to Matt's point about he, he's a big game hunter, right? He's looking mm-hmm. for those big chunk yardage plays. Those will come off his RPOs, which will be based on you know matchup adjustments and matchup advantages and the play action pass yeah. which is based off getting the defense you know invested in stopping the run the number i got is from the alabama offense last year in 2020 mac jones 58 percent of his throws mm-hmm. and to your point too uh jeff about the quick game 58 percent of his throws rpos play action pass screen game mm-hmm. third highest in the power five 27 percent of the throws were rpos or screens that, that's a lot of the offense, that quick game, that yep. RPO, the play action pass, and look more comfortable, and accuracy. If you are accurate also and look more comfortable, I think that could put either one of these quarterbacks over the edge with mm-hmm. that as well because the accuracy is going to be big. The reason the accuracy is big, I'll give you a couple <laughs> of numbers Leach too. Mike says it's the best quality. <laughs> yeah, Mike Lee said he'd rather take a shortstop than yeah. teach him to play quarterback and take a quarterback who's inaccurate. So he wouldn't like Josh Allen, the big, you know, the big, Big arm quarterback. Mm-hmm. He'd rather take a guy, a Colt McCoy, who's just really, really accurate. Graham Harrell. 
Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and it's crazy because I think that for Mike Leach, I was looking at his quarterback, you know, uh, skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. The, what he covets in a quarterback. And Sark says quick hands, and I believe Leach says quick feet. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. it's weird because I think he want. And he's, yeah. he's all about the footwork of the quarterback, yeah. and it's it's just so very strange, like what these quarterback gurus what they like. But both of them, they 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 like com, com, competition or competitiveness, that com, competitive sickness in their quarterbacks, and also they want natural leaders. I think we all agree you got to have that at quarterback, and I think those are kind of Sark's four things. But he also pulls out accuracy because his his conversation with Bill Walsh and Bill he asked Bill Walsh, hey, what's the number one thing you want in quarterback? And Bill Walsh told him. Just can he complete the damn pass? Can he, you know, complete the pass? All right. Mm-hmm. You want him to complete the pass. Can he get that done? And that's basically accuracy, too. Um, Texas last year had every 5.1 attempts, right? They threw a deep ball. All right. So every 5.1. For, for Bama, it was every 8.2 attempts, 20 plus yards or more down the field. You start looking at that. Texas actually threw the ball more deep downfield mm-hmm. than Bama did, but Bama had way more explosive plays. But it's about yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. My man Shannon's really big about it, right? Yard, because when you have those RPO concepts, he's talking about these those long, those rainbow crossers, right? He's talking about these rub routes, these pick routes, um, about a bunch of formations to get freer releases for his wide receivers. Like Keep them open. Speed. Speed is the jet fuel to the engine of his offense. He wants these wide receivers that can run away from man coverage because he's going to force you to play man. Motion. Motion plays a big part Motion's of that. Motion's a big part of it, right? So running away, he calls them uh, break to daylight. You'll hear him call break to daylight. That's his thing, running to open field. And it's, so it's not necessarily about throwing the deep ball, the nine route, like Tom Herman believed, kind of old school and antiquated. Mm-hmm. No, it's about getting these receivers the ball on the move. And that's why you go look at Alabama and their yards after the catch. I Man, it's unbelievable the yards after the catch numbers that they have. You go look at it, uh, the yards after the catch factor for Jalen Waddle. He had the most yards after the catch, 9.8 since 2014, according to Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. He averaged eight yards after the catch in 2018, 12.2 in 2019. And ten in ten yards after the catch in twenty twenty. You go look all the Alabama receivers like that was their big thing. It's trying to mm-hmm. get yards after the catch. So the accuracy is going to be big. Which one of these quarterbacks can hit these wide receivers accurately on the move so they can get those big yak yards? And that that accuracy is why people like Drew Brees and Brady have stayed in the league forever because exactly. you cannot you can yeah. be a less than average arm skill uh, compared to your peers but if you're putting it on the point where a guy catches in stride, the ability to scheme players open, exactly it really is as valuable as anything else that you can find in football. Yep. So that's kind of where we are on the quarterback battle. I I do want to move on and and talk about the offense and we've got, you know, uh, we just got to move on because we've got other position groups we've got to cover and and trust me, we're, we're not done talking quarterback on this show but Rod, I can I can report, uh, and I feel like I got this from a pretty reliable source. And I don't know what situation it was in, how often they did it, but I'm told there was a situation in practice where this offense has lined up in a two-back set hmm. with two tailbacks with B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson and further proving the point that Sark really doesn't care what you're labeled at on the depth chart. He just wants his best players mm-hmm. on the field. Uh, it was a 21 personnel look, and your two wide receivers were Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy. Nice. I like that. It's a lot God of God bless the man. So I'm not best saying. Best 11 on the field. I'm not saying let's all just say, hey, this is the way it's going to be. But 
Just put your best I, 11. I have I have Seen hope. It. I hope I have hope. There you go. I'm now, I'm now cautiously optimistic that we can we can get to where we want to see this offense be just in terms of not seeing 11 personnel for an entire game. Well, maybe some 10 mixed in there. No, mix it up, be diverse, use your weapons, stuff we harped on Tom Herman for not doing enough of. It seems like Sark is experimenting a lot. And even in you know the half-line stuff and an individual looking at the way they do things, mm-hmm. man, this is going to be an offense that's got some versatility with its personnel group. It's like we know they want to use some two tailbacks that Sark has talked about using two tight end sets. And I'll tell you what, man, I, Rod, you know me, I've wasted a lot of breath, a lot of type space, a lot of brain cells for the last decade wondering when's this tight end room going to be competent, especially because we just had a coach who talked about making it a focal point of the offense and it never really was. And I've got the numbers to prove it based on uh, targets for the tight ends for Texas and Alabama. Like even – Going back to 2019, if I remember the right, I think Alabama targeted the offense, the the tight ends, 37 times. And the offense, Texas, only had 21 targets for the tight ends. And that was an offense still where Alabama had four first-round wide receivers on the field. You still targeted your tight ends more in 13 games than Texas did. And even last year, I think Alabama's tight end targets was 47, I think, and 41 for Texas. Even in an offense where Devontae Smith and Najee Harris are gobbling up the vast majority of your targets, you're still finding targets for your tight ends if you're yeah. Steve Sarkeesian. So I, I, that said, let's go ahead and start there. I know there's a lot to unpack based on what I just said. I apologize for that no, word salad of a description from practice. But this tight end group, Rod, I have no idea how many of these guys can play, but this is the best-looking on-the-hoof most athletic tight end room I've seen at Texas since I've been on the beat when you include Jatavian Sanders is working with that group. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that now that you have added Jatavian Sanders, you've added a a true kind of, you know, he's a force multiplier. All right, That's a guy that not only can move the chains, he can change the game at that position. You got now potential home run threats across the field. Uh, interesting stat, uh, Bama – in uh, in 2020, you know, 50% of Bama's handoffs were with with 12 personnel. They love to they love to suck loves two tight ends. He he, he loves yeah, to. Well, Billingsley was that other one. Mm-hmm. That's what we thought Texas yeah. would use Wiley as at times yeah. last so, year. So yeah, so I think you could see that. You're just gonna see. I think you're gonna see versatility based on situations, based on matchups. If Texas can can win. His best eleven for a, a certain game may be, hey, you know what? We got to go with more twelve personnel because we can win up front. Um, other times he may decide, no, nah, let's uh, let's break out, you know, our twenty-one personnel or our twenty personnel with two backs that may work better for us in the matchup. Getting a Keelan Robinson matched up on a linebacker or something like that. So I think mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot more variety within the offensive structure. I've got the number on the tight end targets. I'm sorry, I botched that earlier. Mm-hmm. I wrote a story on Jatavian Sanders and I pulled that data and, and I found it. Uh, Alabama's tight end, tight end targets in 2019, 31 targets for the tight ends in 2019, only 21 targets wow. for the Texas tight ends <clears throat> in 2019. Last season, and keep in mind, this was with targets mm. for Devontae Smith, 145, John Mechie, 76, Najee Harris, 53. Even with all that. And Miller Forrestal was out for more than a month. Right, and I'm – 
I'm glad you brought him up because I'm going to bring up Miller Forrestal here in a second. Uh, I, think it was I don't 37? think I read this right. Oh, it was 37 in 2020. Okay, I've got it. At, I've got it at 41. So I got to go back. I, I wrote my numbers wrong down because I got 41 targets for the Texas tight ends. I think it's 47 for the Alabama tight ends because the Alabama tight ends did have more. It's 47 mm. for the Alabama tight ends. But Matt, you mentioned Miller Forrestal. Mm. Miller Forrestal, even though he was hurt, had 27 targets last season. And keep in mind, this is a tight end in that offense yeah. with all that skill talent. More of a Brewer type also. Miller Forrestal's targets would have ranked fourth among Texas receivers last year. That's crazy. Joshua Moore with 56, Brennan Eagles with 48, Jake Smith with 38, Miller Forrestal would have been fourth. Yeah, yeah. and I pulled uh, some of the Texas uh, yak numbers, and it actually stood out to me because first, you know, when you brought it up, Rod, and then we started talking about multiple backs in the backfield, I was like, oh, what was Bijan's yak per reception last oh, year? 14.7. Yeah. So if we're talking about scheming guys open and that's your strength and then your playmaker on his – 15 receptions, 17 targets, had 14.7 yards after the catch per reception, which is just out of this world. But, you know, Kelvante Dixon only had his three receptions, so his small sample makes that 13.7 of his pretty big. But Tariq Black had 10 on his limited amount. But then I was surprised. It's Jared Wiley, 8.7 yards after the reception. So, like, that's actually good to see. Add that on there. It could be one of those sort of diamond in the roughs not paid attention to, but something that could be quite valuable. And then it was 8.2 for Whittington. Yeah. You know, Devontae Smith last year was 8.77 yards after the catch. I mean, that's... So that's what he wanted. Hear him talk about movement routes because he hates... And he this said, is with Texas he said that he not hates, being schemed open. Yeah, he said that he hates stop routes, and that's the reason he hates stop routes because you don't get yards mm-hmm. after the catch because it nullifies the speed that that speed advantage that he wants on the field. Yeah, so he wants guys on the move constantly. Yeah, come to think of it, even when they do routes on air, I don't see him really doing a lot of stop routes. It's all crossers, movements. Yeah, yeah, that's what he likes. Stuff down the keep scene. going towards yes. your end zone. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting when you can tie it all together. Um, guys, nothing really new at wide receivers. Xavier Worthy looks looks the part, looks explosive. But again, that's with no pads, t-shirts on, nobody yeah, nobody no, trying to. You can look real fast. No bump and run. Off. Yeah, there yeah, you go. So hopefully, not, Andre Coleman has taught the wide receivers how to get off of a jam. I'll say this: um, you know, <laughs> when, when you talk hoping. about that group, if you're looking for somebody, because we talk about like who's going to step up, like we based on what Sarkis said, the way he looks, like Xavier Worthy is going to be one of those guys. Everybody has said that. To step up and join Joshua Moore and Jordan Whittington. Um, Man, keep an eye on Kelvante Dixon. Like, Kelvante Dixon, when we're in these open windows, one thing I look for just in terms of, okay, who's a guy the coach is like? If you're at the front of the line getting a lot of reps, Rod, you've been on that practice field. If you're one of those guys at the front of the line getting a lot of reps, that, yeah, to me, that matters. Kelvante Dixon's that guy. Like, even ahead of Troy O'Meary, who's still got the big brace on, and he's. I mean, like he's not limited, but he's, I don't you know. Can tell he's not. He's not 100 percent Jaden. And yeah. I don't know if it's mental too. Like just it's both. The, the all guys that had deal with injury. Mm-hmm. Any guy you talk to that's dealt mm-hmm. with like something like an ACL. Yep. It's just it's not you're necessarily timid. fear. It's just you got to be timid. sure of yourself. You're timid. Again. You're timid yeah. early on. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's getting sure of you're, yourself. Get a young man some time. But yeah, Kelvante Dixon, I think, even over like a Marcus Washington or you know anybody else in that room, like, Kelvante Dixon, I think, is a guy to keep an eye on. As camp goes forward, we talked about the tight ends group. Let's talk about the offensive line. I did observe with my own eyes, got two eyeballs on it, a practice period on Sunday where Kyle Flood's guys did nothing but working on recognizing stunts. 
picking up <laughs> stuff. Beautiful thing. That's what I'm picking talking about. Yeah. All were reporting there from Jeff Howe. Live. Live. That's it. He I, was there. I, looked, he saw I it. glanced over. I was watching like I was trying to watch defensive defensive line and the edge mm-hmm. guys because they're at the far end of the field, oh, yeah. the south end zone. So I've got binoculars and I'm, I'm Bo Davis doing a lot of teaching right now. Rod, you've been on that practice field when Bo Davis is out there. He can. Bo Davis is a great coach. Yeah, a lot of teaching going on. And, That's a uh, great combination to have a deep D line and then you got Bo Davis yeah. or a deep interior D line, I should say. And gosh, yeah. man, that when you consider like Alfred Collins, Vernon Broad, and Antevandre Sweat are all kind of in that. Number two group right now. It's amazing. Like Moro Ojimo is good enough to start it's in the amazing. coach's eyes, dude. It's no, no. It's, it's one. Of the, I, I haven't seen a Texas D interior D line this deep. You got to go back to. Oh man, you might go back to days like when Robbie was on campus. Like uh, I mean, yeah, or, or even the like depth. that 0405. Like I, I, I just haven't. I don't remember a group this deep in a long time. Yeah. Like we forget about Vernon Broad. We forget yeah. about him. And he's right there with Sweat and yeah. Collins. Man. And like I'm telling you, man, like you look at a young cat like Byron Murphy, like Byron Murphy looks like he belongs. Like he doesn't look out of place, even yeah. standing next to those guys. And I like can't wait to see what he Sawyer Gorham Welch, I know is a guy that the Tom Herman staff was really high on. Yeah. As as one member of that staff told me, he's like, Texas just got a kid that typically goes to Oklahoma State or TCU, mm-hmm. and Texas fans wonder three, four years down the road, mm-hmm. why didn't we recruit that kid? Because he's kicking our ass now. Yeah. Like, they felt like Sawyer Gorham Welch was that kind of kid. And then Myron Warren, who's grown into a defensive tackle, like, I don't know how Myron Warren is going to get snaps. I don't know how Byron Murphy is going to get snaps. Oh, I, good, it's going to be interesting to see because I've heard uh, Sark talk about this because, you know, Tom Herman, one of the most annoying things about him was rotations and a lot of guys rotating at weird times, even in clutch situations. He's still rotating guys. That two-minute two drill before the half in the Oklahoma game where we look up, it's like, Kai Money and Marcus Washington haven't mm-hmm. been on the field the entire first half. Why are they in right now? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> no, even sometimes with Joseph Osai, like they would pick weird times to give Joseph Osai a rest. I'm like, this is not the time. Somebody else's turn. <laughs> it's a two minute drill. Two minute drill. <laughs> exactly. Get his ass out there. He can get a Gatorade in five minutes. Come on. I'll take sixty percent Joseph Osai over whoever the hell else was behind him. But anyway, uh, they asked Sark about it. Sark said, I you apologize know what? for using uh, no, I like ass, it. But I he get, said the I get best fired up. best players will play. Um, you earn the right to play. He said sometimes though at certain positions, and I'm sure D tackle is. He's like. I have multiple guys who've earned the right to play, and then we'll rotate. Like, you know, if they just, if guys have earned that right. But I love the way he put it. So the best 11. The, the question for PK is, um, and I'm always calling him PK, but Coach Kwiatkowski is. It's, that, it's, it's easier just to. I know to it play. is. Um, but the, the question is, are you going to play your best 11? Because I think what you, I think your best 11 might consist of more D tackles on the field than you'd want and more DBs on the field than people would think yep. because you really don't know who those off those those hybrid defensive end outside linebackers are going to be. You don't know who your other off-ball linebacker will be opposite DeMarvion Overshone. And an I think you got a ton a of experience at DB, and I think you're deep at D tackle. I might end up putting three of those. I know it sounds crazy, mm-hmm. like Ray Thornton, Three of those D tackles on the field, uh, Demario and Overshone, and the rest of them DBs out there. I, mean, I know it sounds crazy. That might be why... my, my my base package. I know it sounds crazy, but that D line, man, 
It's so deep. And that's what we were talking yeah. about a couple months ago when Jeff asked us, uh, you know, who would be the guy that put Texas's defense in the best situation if he, can't, you know, emerged. And we said Vernon Broughton because it gives you that type of depth at the tackle where not only do you ha- never, like, drop off or don't lose production, but in certain situations because of your athleticism from guys like Alfred Collins and you can bump them out, you can get the type mm-hmm. of mismatches if you feel, oh, yeah, his foot speed might not be great, but he can just overpower this guy or it can just get you to have your best three or four guys out there on the D-line. It really is a luxury Texas has because I was going back in my mind and like there were some uh, deeper lines like 08 but that yeah. was because Mushtamp was rolling guys down that were guys he that was. weren't necessarily there swear he was manufacturing that type of depth but it really wasn't you know just six deep where you have guys where you don't you almost have a second D-line wave because even in 05 you didn't have much behind the main guys and then a backup and even back whenever it was Casey and Sean yeah your starters are as front line but this team may have that front line and then have another line that's starter worthy behind it. Yeah, I'd compensate for the lack of speed. I, I know that would be a concern to Big 12. I'd put more DBs on the field, so I'd have more mm-hmm. speed. Basically run dime would be your base at yeah. that point. Yeah, you know, run a 3 Essentially. Eight. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, I know B.J. Foster, if you use him right, and you know, I've heard you talking about it, Jeff. Yeah. Use B.J. Foster right, he could spin down. Oh, yeah. Nice sure. little he can play a linebacker down. Yeah. Where Foster and well, we've, we've seen him do it. We've seen him do it. The Joker, he's even played some big nickel in yeah. the past, so we've yeah. seen him do it. Yeah. I'll get to that in a second, but getting back to the offense, uh, to wrap up the offensive conversation with a diverse run game, Matt, you had some great numbers a couple of weeks ago on Alabama basically being mm-hmm. a 50-50 split between zone runs and gap runs last year in Texas. How it was overwhelmingly slanted to a zone so, running game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, watching Kyle Flood work with that offensive line, an individual, Rod, they – they work on gap schemes. Mm-hmm. They work on tight zone. They work on wide zone. So, again, with the formational information I've gotten, with what I've seen with my own eyes, I'm I'm cautiously confident that this is going to be the kind of diverse run game that, quite frankly, you're probably going to need with an offensive line that you're still trying to figure some things out with. Well, just to weaponize Bijan, you need more of a diversified running game because the truth is that's why Tom Herman's offense was at times predictable. Yeah. It's like, well, I know it's going to be a zone running scheme. I know when they run power, it's probably just going to be Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. running the power yeah. scheme. All right, so to weaponize a guy like Bijan, and if you're going to use those two backs in the backfield, it helps to have a diversified running game because that way you can do a lot of misdirection in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have defenders having to worry about multiple different run sets and run options, and it just get, it, it gives the it makes the defense's job a much harder. And, and right. that, it makes your defensive job much harder because sorry, I'm sorry, you just got you got to prepare for so many other types of run games. Going back to the quarterback discussion, that also plays into it. Which one of these guys is better handling the ball at the match point? That's true too. It's going to matter. Know? And yeah. Hudson, Hudson Card, decision. Like, like we we forget Hudson Card was was an all state wide receiver at Lake Travis, so it's not like he's a bum. No, of he's an athlete. athlete. Compared yeah, to Casey Thompson. He's the more athletic one. But it's yeah. just, it's all, it's all in, I mean, look, man, there's a reason why anytime you go to a college practice or, or high school practice, whatever, man, when you're a quarterback and you're working a mesh point, there's a reason why coaches are on you. Hey, make sure your fake is on point. Make sure mm-hmm. make sure your technique is down. Make oh, yeah. sure you're presenting a run Details, threat anytime baby. you got that ball in your hand. Details, baby. Uh, so that's, that's another part of it. So, again, I really like what I've seen from Kyle Flood, just getting to watch the O-line work in a couple of practices. And that's, man, that's an interesting group, too, because 
that first unit hasn't changed where it's been from left to right. Christian Jones, Denzel Okafor, Jake Majors, Junior Angulao, and Derek Kerstetter. You see a young guy like Hayden Connor get in there and, and get some reps with that first group a little bit. Tope mm-hmm. Amade's hanging around in there. Yep. It's unfortunate that Isaiah Hookfin wound up in a boot for a couple of practices because, gosh, man, just getting off the bus, you just – or hoping those that guy, guys, yeah. Or just hoping that guy mm-hmm. can break out. Uh, and then you've got Andre Carrick still working in there. So it seems like with those starting five, it seems like that top group of eight right now would be with those five would be Carrick, Amade, and Hayden Connor. Which mm-hmm. I would not have put Hayden Connor in that group over a guy like Tyler yeah, Johnson. I mentioned him uh, the other day, but it does seem like. He's in that group over Tyler Johnson right now. So something to file away. Again, this is a snapshot of what we're talking about depth chart-wise yeah. in this portion of camp. So one of the, the hotly contested topics, I know it is on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7, and I I got it confirmed with my own eyes. Man, that first linebacker group right now, when DeMarvion Overshone runs out for any kind of period where the linebackers are working with the front or whatever, Luke Brockermeyer is the guy next to him. Wow. And I know that surprised a lot of people, but I think this just goes to show you, Rod, for that other inside linebacker position, dude, that thing is wide open. Wide like, open. Like, we're sitting Whoa. here Monday, and it looks like it's Luke Brockermeyer. Whoa. By Thursday, it could be David Benda. Like, I I think it's that wide open. The problem is, and I, I guess it's a good problem to have because your linebackers typically do make up the bulk of your coverage and return units because you like guys with size speed good size speed ratios mm-hmm. to be make up your core special teams. I just don't know how Jeff Choate and Pete Kwiatkowski are going to get a good look at all of those guys. Like it's almost impossible to considering as we sit here right now you're you're 26 days away from going to play a football game. I just it, like Luke Brockermeyer, David Benda, Devin Richardson still in that mix, got Delia Dayaway. Terrence Cooks, Morris Blackwell, a couple of young guys. Marcus Tillman still hanging around in that mix. Mm-hmm. That's just six guys I named right there. Like, there's no way you're going to get a look at all of these guys. Yeah. To determine who can play and who can't. Yeah, I'm concerned because I don't want them to force trying to put certain positions on the field yep. out of, you know, this, this kind of old school mentality. Mm-hmm. I, I do think. And we've talked about how tough linebacker is in this modern game, right, in, mm-hmm. the, in the pace and space game that we are in in modern football. It's hard for linebackers. You do need guys that can thud and that can obviously fit in the run game, but they have to be spread babies. they got to be able to operate in space and be comfortable in space. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Texas has DeMarvin Overshawn, who is perfect, by the way. But I, I don't want them to force some other off-ball linebacker on the field and then him become a liability and then you be able to exploit that guy because the Big 12 offenses, they will do it yeah. all day, mm-hmm. every day, and twice on Sunday. So my I, I would, like I said, I would devalue that linebacker position. And like I said, if they end up finding a guy who can play like Jalen Ford or you know one of those guys, great. That's, that's great then. That's awesome. But if not, you have an embarrassment of riches at DB, a lot of talent there and a lot of experience there. And you're, we just talked about how talented and deep the D line is, man. I would I would just try to play my find out who my best eleven are, and I'd build a scheme around those. And I think if you did that, you'd probably have three D tackles, Ray Thornton on the D uh, on the outside, Demarvion Overshot, and it probably end up being six mm-hmm. DBs. And I I think you base should, defense. I think that probably end up being your base. I know it sounds crazy, but the NFL's look. Uh, 
Joe Woods, the new defensive coordinator for the the Browns. Mm-hmm. He basically said, "No, Dime is going to be my base. I'm trying to get down my base. Go look at all the DBs they've been drafting." Mm-hmm. Chargers have been devaluing DBs like that. Kansas City's base is basically dime. Has been for the last two years to spag on. Yeah. Who the hell are the Kansas City linebackers? Tell me. <laughs> Nobody knows who the linebackers are because they don't play any damn linebackers. They barely play a couple of them when they got them. Caden Stearns was, I think, one of three or four DBs the Broncos drafted. The Broncos are going that route to the drafting a lot of DBs. The entire division. Yeah, the Patriots have been there for years. Go yep. look at last year. The Patriots, the first five, six games of the season, Dime was their base. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying it ain't it ain't crazy. Last few years, they're doing that in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, so I'm just saying it ain't crazy and wild in the positionless football world that we live in. Mm-hmm. You got guys like B.J. Foster. You know, hell, what the hell is going on with Tyler Owens? You know what I mean? You got guys who have a mm-hmm. body and a certain skill set yeah. that you can coach them up to play at that depth. That's yes, you can go small. It's worth the try to put the players out there and don't go into it and say, oh, no, they're going to get taken advantage of, ran over. It's like, okay, give them a shot. Let them get out there and see if that happens because a lot of the times in sports, size is something that's the illusion to the eyes that really doesn't match on the Kansas field. City, 2019 and 2020, played dime 44% of the time. They play nickel 31% of the time. I'm just saying people are doing it. That's 75% of the time with five or six <laughs> or DBs. Sure. Exactly, yeah. Um, let's let's wrap this up with the conversation about the secondary. Rod, I'll be honest, based on the way things look, and again, I, I haven't looked at every rep they've taken in practice, it just seems like Deshaun Jameson and Josh Thompson are significantly ahead, comfortably ahead of everybody else in that corner. It should be. Yeah, as well, all those guys well, are the old well, men. Well, that's that's what I was going to get your take on it. I was kind of I was kind of disappointed because Deshaun Jamison was available after Sunday's practice, and I asked him, you know, in terms of competition, if he can kind of feel those young guys, and he said, no, it's more of him and Josh Thompson still trying to bring the young guys along, and that's why I wrote in my depth chart piece that's up on the site right now. I'm like. That might be the safest bet out of any position group is Josh Thompson and Deshaun Jameson are going to be your starting corners for the opener. Yeah. and they I, don't th- sh- I don't think they're going to get pushed. I, I don't think they'll be pushed either. And they should be playing at a high level. Okay, so how long has Josh Thompson been here? He was a 2017 signing. There you go. So, All right, so he's a super senior at this point? 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Well, no, he's a legit 50 legit senior because he, senior? Got a red, he got a red shirt. Yet, okay, so. so and then Deshaun Jameson's a senior too, right? 19, 19, 21? He'll yeah. be senior this year? Yeah. Okay. Two senior corners, you, you, those guys who've already had starting experience in right. one year, you should expect those guys to perform at a high level. The problem is, I love those guys, DBU, DB high. Last year, they didn't do that. Right. Last year, they were liabilities for like half of the year. And then late in the year, Deshaun Jameson really did. I think he excelled, actually, late in the year. Josh Thompson just there was no longer a liability, mostly because Chris Ash either gave him help or backed him up. Because remember, he wanted to play that press quarters coverage, that shadow coverage. Yeah. And it was really, as we talked about in the Blitz, that's not really what these corners do. But if you want to go try to force them to do it, go mm-hmm. ahead. But that's if you've watched them, they, they're not press man shut down corners. Like I said, a pre- <laughs> a, if you want to run a press quarters defense right? like Pat Narduzzi did, and you got two first-round corners with Darquise Denard and Trey Waynes, and okay, run yeah. press quarters all the time if you exactly. want. Run so, it every down. And Chris Ash learned that the hard way that those corners, that's not really their skill set. Yeah. So if Quidkowski can use them correctly and they can make plays on the ball, then great. But I'll give you the numbers because they're troubling every time. Every 4.6 targets that the opposing quarterback targeted Texas cornerbacks, they allowed an explosive pass play, which is 20 yards or more, or they committed a defensive holding or a pass interference call. So just keep throwing it at just the Texas corners. Them. They only made a play on the ball every 13.3 targets. That number needs to mm-hmm. flip. 
Mm-hmm. That number flips. Those corners will be all Big 12 corners. All Big 12 caliber right. corners. Yeah. And let's wrap it up talking about the middle of the field. Um, interesting developments at, at uh, safety and nickel. Those guys work together, so we knew there was going to be some cross-training. But, man, it, it seems like if, if Texas had to go play a game today – your starting safeties and nickels, your safeties would be Brennan Schooler and B.J. Foster, mm. and Jaron Thompson would be your nickel, which isn't all that surprising because no. when Jaron Thompson was recruited, I know the previous staff that recruited him viewed him as thought he could be a, a big-time nickel guy. So that's cool, but Rod, I, I think, and, and it's fine because I don't expect a lot of Texas fans to be paying attention to Pac-12 football especially as bad as Oregon was the one year that Brennan Schooler played safety. Mm. But, man, you start. I started looking at this. And, and I went back and just pulled up the PFF data from his one year playing safety at Oregon. And he had a PFF coverage grade of 88.3 on 419 coverage snaps. No Texas defender, period. Defend, I'm talking – Linebacker, safety, corner, no Texas defender has posted a season-long coverage grade, according to Pro Football Focus, above 80 since 2017 when Holton Hill was at 83.4 and Deshaun Elliott in his the year he was a unanimous All-American, a finalist for mm-hmm. the Thorpe Award, was at 82.5. So Schooler was even ahead of where Deshaun Elliott was in that 2017 season when he was a unanimous yeah. All-American in the Thorpe Award finalist. That really like, that's how good Schooler was. Now, you can take PFF data and do with it what you will. Yep, you it's Good. not the be-all, end-all, but I like it because it's better than anything we've got say, pretty much. They, they're, doing, they're going Ex- rabbit holing. Exactly. Well, there's a good clarification on it is it, it in coverage, the way they grade it out, this shows he does well within the system of what he's asked to do because that's a big part of what the grading system is is Very what true. you do there. And then it goes down to if you just win or lose your matchup. And yeah. it's basically those two things. Oh, and would you know who the Washington defensive staff was made up of when they were watching Oregon tape? Yeah. Pete yeah. Kukowski and Jeff Choate. Very true. So they've – not that they're watching Oregon defensive snaps, but you guys get the point. Yeah. It's – the schooler situation is really, really interesting. Like it if is. he can, if he can be, and Chris Adam Moore is working more at safety than nickel. Anthony Cook seems like he's the backup nickel at this point. You got Tyler Owens with that second group right now, from everything I've heard. So it, it's interesting that I was expecting, <laughs> I was expecting the best camp battle to be Chris Adam Moore and Anthony Cook for that nickel job. And apparently, upon further review, Pete Kwiatkowski and Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon said. No, nah, we like Jaron Thompson there better. Let's go ahead and get a look at him yeah. at that nickel spot. I think they're just trying to put their best interior defensive backs, I guess that's the way of saying it, in there. And I think they, they know that's Foster, Schooler, and Thompson, and they don't know which configuration to put them out there in. And you know what? I wouldn't doubt that changes based on weekly matchups. Right. Okay. I wouldn't doubt that changes based on weekly matchups between which one of those guys ends up playing that nickel um, you could end up seeing Adam Moore, or if it's more of a coverage-based thing, and like they got, and they, they they're putting their best wide out at their in there right. in the slot, mm-hmm. and then you end up getting him matched up on what potentially is your safety. You may not like that as much. At least we'll we'll know within this defensive scheme by the end of by the end of camp, if you include spring ball, winter conditioning, whatever they did during the summer. Cook, Adam Moore, Jaron Thompson, and Schooler will have all worked some in the nickel. 
Mm-hmm. So that makes you pretty diverse mm-hmm. based on opponents and based on whatever you And B.J. Foster can play the nickel if you need him to. Right. Too. Like So we, mm-hmm. he's played a linebacker depth before yeah. and done it before. All right. That was a crash course of everything to digest with good. three days of practice. Mm-hmm. And as we – I don't know That's how fine. many more practice windows we'll get, but if we get more, hey, that's more for me to observe and write about, and we can talk about it here on the next edition nice. of The Blitz. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear Rod be each and every weekday from 3 to 7 on the triple option. Shameless plug. Sorry. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.